0: I'm Ant. And I'm Dave. You're listening to Managing in the Middle, a podcast about ways to make work suck less.
1: Let's face it, being a manager is hard work.
0: We'll gather new ideas and fresh perspectives on how to be a better boss.
1: Stick around and hear practical advice on how to manage happier, more productive teams. When you're a shit hot leader, it's a win for everyone. You've all seen the shows on TV, Hell's Kitchen, stuff like that. You know that the commercial kitchens are probably the worst place for leadership you could ever imagine. I've got friends that are chefs, the stories would turn your hair white, let alone theirs. It's command and control, it's fear, it's intimidation, but it doesn't have to be. Now, if you can turn an environment like that around, then you're absolutely someone we want to talk to. So Ant, who is it we are talking to?
0: Yeah. So today we're talking to Harris Ryan. Harris is a Melbourne chef who's worked in hospitality for around 20 years. He's worked with some of Melbourne's most bougie and renowned restaurants, cafes, events, and corporate enterprises, and has an incredible story around his experience as an apprentice and moving through to be a leader. He's very much now a consultant for businesses who needs any kind of assistance in strengthening their kitchen operations. That can be anything around technical skills, but more and more, it's around building fantastic teams, wholesome and happy kitchen environments that are built on respect. We are so fortunate to have this incredible chat with Harris. He talks us through his story and how he ended up changing his leadership style later on in life.
1: I am really looking forward to this. Uh, this. I can't imagine a worse environment to have to turn around, and I'm actually excited about listening to Harris. Let's get him on now.
2: Thanks for having me, first of all. It's a real pleasure to be able to discuss these very poignant topics at the moment with everything going on. It started for me in Europe, backpacking through Spain and Portugal predominantly. We moved back to London to see out the end of a, a two-year travelling period. And I kept cooking for people in, in the shared house of about eight people. And when I came back to Australia, I had to get a job. And I was given the opportunity to start my apprenticeship at about 20, the age of 25 at a gastropub in Carlton. And that's where it all began.
1: What was the atmosphere like in, when you were an apprentice? Yeah, you first went into the first commercial kitchen. What was the vibe? How, how did that feel?
2: I guess it was a bit of a um, surreal environment because it was so um, parallel to anything else that I'd done before. I had a multitude of jobs traveling overseas and, and, and saving money to get overseas, but the intensity, the pressures, um, the speed of a, a kitchen was unparalleled to anything that I'd experienced and but I was fortunate in the very beginning I was really fortunate I had uh, a head chef that was quite supportive of a work-life balance even back in the you know the early 2000s no one was really talking about it back then it was just about how much you can get out of people for as little as possible and then Something occurred and he was unable to continue in his role. And then I was, I experienced my first sort of regimented, bellowing head chef experience. And it lasted all of about eight weeks.
1: (laughs) Tell us about those eight weeks then.
2: Yeah, okay, sure. For me, for me, um, I guess being 25 and thinking that, you know, apprenticeships were for, Seventeen and eighteen year olds. I felt like I really had to sort of throw myself into the deep end, I guess. But I wasn't prepared to be belittled and to not be essentially educated as an apprentice. So my eight weeks under this chef was about being told how useless I was, how disorganized, how untidy, and not having my my questions answered like I was a human being and there was a bit of a display of belittlement and to sort of big note themselves and then ironically to get out of it I landed a job at a fine dining restaurant which was uh, well well established at the time it had an amazing reputation and it was right in the peak of really pumping and then I found it what I just experienced to an absolute whole other level (laughs) Uh, of a really regimented, highly hierarchical structure of fine dining. From there, I was moved into a bit of a difficult situation where the restaurant was in a transitional period. It was originally run by an executive chef of high, um, high esteem, especially as even now in the industry, and he was really making a name for himself and then he went off and started his own business but maintained the executive chef role and two sous chefs were made a joint head chef role. As I came in, one had left to run another business within the, within the umbrella company and the other chef was the, uh, just making his name for himself. So he was looking at managing costs, creating exceptional menus, which he did. However, there were a a few people, including myself, that wore the brunt of that, which meant working in a section on my own that was usually manned by three people. There was a real whipping boy sense Mm. of going to work, and this is back when they were around the AWA, the workers' agreements. So I was doing something like 70 to 90 hours for I think I was clearing about $450 a week, which um, was expected of you as an apprentice and it was expected for you to just cop the abuse that was received and this is right in the, the beginning of the Gordon Ramsay spectacular of becoming a bit of an example of swearing and throwing and hitting and breaking as a demonstration of being a leader essentially. Wow. Yeah. So, I went from one, one environment that was, you know, gastro entry-level sort of dining to fine dining and found a very similar environment, which made me question my decision <laughs> to uh, pursue this career.
1: So, is that a generational thing? You think there was those head chefs were brought up, they were hazed, they were... Hassled, they were forced to be good. And in retrospect, they believe that's what they have to do to get the best out of their apprentices, et cetera.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. The industry is tough and it's, you know, it still is tough today. And, but there was the, the, the mentality of we're going to educate you by toughening you or callousing you to uh, be able to, to survive the the industry requirements i guess which when we look at it now we we and i can say we because it's been now 15 years that i've been doing this and i feel that i'm getting to that that leadership end of the of my role that we flip we're completely flipping it on its head now and as we go down the the line of nurturing educating much more than the abuse and the Some and 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 sometimes without dramatizing it, it was there was the assaults, you know? I have worked with one guy, one chef who tells a story of as he was cooking, his chef would flick hot oil on his arms to speed him up, and then you hear the other horrific stories of you know, putting people's hands on top of stovetops and and things like that, or plates being flung. The worst I had was being grabbed by the scruff of the, the the jacket and put up against the wall and ha- threatened to have my head knocked off because I was serving food a little bit slowly you know or slower than what they wanted you know when you really put it into words it just everyone looks at you and like really does that really happen that's what, in, in disbelief but I it can sounds crazy tell you
1: it did happen so w- when you're immersed in that sort of hell, what would make you even think that you could turn this into a nurturing, safe environment for people to do their best?
2: Well, when you're going through the ranks, and I'm still talking about it, my, my apprenticeship days, as I move through the ranks of that strict hierarchical structure that we have in the kitchen you only repeat what your leaders, what your senior people did to you. So I've looked back now and I've some of my behavior towards other people, I'm appalled at. You know, I never assaulted anyone. And in the heat of service, you, you are yelling and swearing and sometimes belittling people to generate motivation for people not to, to be the victim of that. The behaviour. We're only copies of what of our educators essentially, or our our leaders. So, yeah, I thought that was the right thing to do.
0: Well, Harris, what what turned that around? So, at what point did you start to experience good leadership in the kitchen?
2: I was fortunate enough to work for a company that just forced us to to respect everyone uh in this company we knew everyone by their first name and i think that's where it turned for me it had to be coached out of me admittedly and it probably took a good two two years for it to occur for me to really understand the benefits of um attracting bees with honey rather than kicking the hive scenario
1: mm. was, was there uh, a moment where the penny dropped You suddenly went, I get it. What was that?
2: Yes, it's a good question. I look back now, there was a moment and I was actually being brought into a meeting room with HR. Someone had reported that I had been abusive towards them and I couldn't recall it. I, I was shocked. I was so focused on being better. And and behaving better and more respectful and treating everyone as equals from a hierarchical perspective. And when I was when it was brought to my attention, I uh, I just adamantly denied it occurred. But it took me about twelve weeks, three months or so, to go. You know what I did? I've, I've subconsciously acted that way, and I've displayed a level of dissatisfaction from someone's um, decision-making or performance and it was so normal to me that I can't even recall it occurring, Mm. even though I had three people sitting across from me telling me that multiple people had seen and heard what I'd said or done. And then I realised that it had become an innate part of my performance, like my response to a a high-pressure situation. And I became more mindful of being mindful, I guess. <laughs> I, mm. you know, a heated service. I needed to, I, I knew the trigger points. I knew when my blood was starting to boil or my heart was starting to beat faster and I had to be mindful and start breathing and say, this is, the, this is where you go over the edge. Now let's bring it back. And I could, yeah, and it, it never happened again. And knock on wood and it will never will. But that's pretty, Amazing. when you feel like you haven't got control of your own responses in those high-pressure situations, which are often in my, my field, it's quite, it's quite scary. It's quite daunting.
1: Talk to us about getting results without using the command and control, yes, chef, because in that environment, from what we see on TV, from what we hear from friends that are in cookery and things like that, you need to know what's going on. You need people doing things at the right time. How's that working out without that hierarchy and command and control?
2: I can almost answer that with one word, Dave, to be honest with you, and that's education. Explaining and speaking to people calmly about why you want something done and to train them into the operation. So. I'm huge on process and strategy building for kitchen op- operation and you get your, the best outcome through having those really strict processes, but people can't at- adhere to process or uphold process if they don't understand the why you do them.
1: So and we've, we've well, mentioned before outcome, or, outcome orientation. So rather than – do your do this it's achieve this outcome is that what we're talking exactly exactly that's
2: right so my education was do it because i said so and you you would you know rinse and repeat over and over again but you could walk out and not understand why so you don't become a better chef add tools to your belt now Regardless of people's interest, if they want to be part of the team and they want to be a contributor to the environment and the end product, they need to have a sound understanding of why we, why we do things the way we do.
0: Mm. And how do your teams feel? Like, how, Have you noticed a bit of a difference in how the teams behave from I guess the old school mentality to a different way of working? What's, how do people respond to that?
2: Oh look, the majority of people feel like a a participant that they're contributing immediately because, like Dave mentioned, you've got an end target. You've got a a team that all want to push the wall down. You know, in the same spot. But if you, if everyone, you've got individuals pushing, trying to push a wall down in different areas, you're not going to achieve your end goal. So, if you get everyone on that same process on the path of process and. you're going to not only achieve your goals, but you're going to make your team members less stressed. They're going to um, be more systematic and they're going to enjoy working more because it is, like we keep, I keep saying, it's a really tough environment to work in. You know, it's, it's nights, you're, you're away from your family and friends, you say goodbye to your social life. The amount of people exiting the industry at the moment with the COVID situation is just scary. I've got clients who are trying to employ chefs at the moment so they can train to launch when, when Melbourne does become accessible again and they're not getting any responses because people are finding other ways, finding ways to get
0: out. Mm. Well, I suppose... A lot of us have never had this kind of break before from whatever we do usually and perhaps people are saying that there's a different lifestyle that might be at the end of the tunnel.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. If exactly you work hard right. and you find out you, you can live without it, then why would you go back? Exactly, exactly.
2: But there are a lot of people that are really passionate about the industry. They love the, the, that intense environment. They love the creativity. I think it's the responsibility of sort of my generation to nurture the passion and creativity and not try and big note ourselves to ensure we succeed because we are only a component of a whole team. And I think if everyone in the team feels that way, you're going to get a better end product.
0: So, we talk a lot about modelling behaviour as a leader. Who do you get to look to, I guess, in your industry, Harris? of who is really leading in a new way and empowering people and getting people happy to come to work and having less burnout? What's the flag on the hill?
2: Sure. Well, with that question, the one person that comes to mind is um, Ben Shuri from the well-acclaimed Attica. I've been fortunate enough to meet and work with Ben a few times from other projects, not involved with Attica the restaurant and he just works so hard on making a great work environment for chefs that cook food on a global like comparison like he's been a part of the 50 best restaurants for a few years now and he's got a room upstairs where the guys can play vinyl records the last I remember hearing he they do four-day weeks, so they have a th- four-day th- on, three-day off. He, yeah, he, he's bringing the care factor back mm-hmm. to his people while still putting out an amazing product. So anyone that says that, that they can't afford to have chefs only work an eight- or ten-hour shift is just total rubbish. As chefs, a target is to hit fantastic food 50 to 100, sometimes to 150 times in a service yeah, and make sure that's all really good. Now, the chefs have been there already six to 10 hours before the high-pressure, intense environment even starts. So we need to nurture these people to make sure that when it gets to the customer, that's when they're shining, that's when they're at their best.
0: So take yourself back, I guess, to... All of that high pressure environment. How do you reckon you stay calm in those really challenging situations now versus how you used to do that? Well, that's a good question.
2: I think one is because you face so many challenges in your development, I've leant towards a bit more of mindfulness in my response when it gets really high pressure. If if my processes and structures and strategies that I've built aren't working. I've got to have a moment where I, I take responsibility and I take a deep breath and I say, okay, things aren't working the way I would like them to, but it's up to if it's meant to be, it's up to me, sort of cliche. I'm going to take this by the scruff of the neck and I'm going to pick everyone up and I'm going to get it over the line and, you know, if I go down, I'm going to take everyone down with me. And that's what gets me through to achieve. And sometimes you don't achieve. Actually, quite often you don't achieve. And we get that great moment at the end of the night where you have the the knockoff drink and you all sit around and you go, Wow, how difficult was that? That was really tough. Remember when this happened, remember when that happened. And thanks for this person because they took the initiative. And then you talk about the growth of how you've done it together. And you go home and you Say, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. It was a new day. We'll do it all again. Mm. Where if you're exhausted, being abused, and you've gone down and you've created, you know, some errors or anything like that, and you go home, you don't sleep. You don't sleep. So you become more tired the next day. You're more likely to create more errors. You're too tired to stick around at the end of the night to debrief and have a laugh and form relationships with your team members and it just snowballs and exacerbates and festers and to the point where you just go, what for? We've seen a real turnaround. And the resilience, I guess, uh, uh, as you asked earlier, is that collectively we are saying that we need to look after each other to keep moving forward. You know, the, the care of people is definitely evident now and that's what makes me excited because I, I was one of them. I'd be more than happy to throw the towel in a few years ago through injury, illness, exhaustion, but the caring of people now
1: is what keeps me going. I think it's hard for people to imagine a more high-pressure and traditionally hierarchical command and control it environment than a kitchen, especially, yeah, the higher-end kitchens. And just the fact that you can bring that goal orientation, you can bring that joy of work, you can bring the people being empowered and educated into that environment, that's got to inspire people that are working in what they probably feel like is a high-pressure environment. But realize, yeah, compared to that, wow, if they can do it, what could possibly stop us? That's right. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you would say to leaders wherever? And you'd say, look, if there was one thing that I think is universal across all leadership, if you're looking to be a great leader, you need to hit this. What would it be?
2: Wow. I'm sure people have done, you know, thesis on this question, uh, Dave. So you've, you've got me with a beauty. I would say, being okay with vulnerable, feeling vulnerable, feeling once you get that sense of it being okay that you don't have to know everything or you don't have to be able to, be able to do each job the best is one of the most liberating things that, that could ever happen and it's happened to me numerous and, I, and I'm the first one now to put my hand up and say, hey, guys, I don't know, have the answer. To this question, I don't know how to do this right now, but please trust me when I say that I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get some form of an answer, or to participate in us collectively getting to the end, end location. I think for me, that's the biggest thing. Vulnerability is actually a good thing, even though sometimes it feels like you're, the, the floor is falling. Away from underneath you.
1: Yeah, if, if you start from that sort of base, it's pretty hard to go wrong. So, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I think so. And,
2: yeah, I think it's that, yeah, that's the big one. I mean, like I said, I've been in some pretty dark places based on career and, and, and the fear of failure and, and judgment. And now I take those critiques, let's call them critiques rather than criticism, and I take them on as, a, as advice because if you don't hear them, you're not, it's not brought to your attention. You can't make a change. A great cliche or probably a meme, if anything now, is um, make a choice to take a chance to make a change. For me, that's a, that's a big one, that make the choice to take a chance and you are going to get it wrong sometimes and that's okay. But. If you're just going to go, oh, well, I stuffed it up, I'm done, I'm walking away from it, well, you're not going to learn anything. So you go, if you say, I, I stuffed up, I didn't achieve what I was setting out to do, but i am be damned if I'm going to let it stop me from trying again, that's when you're going to learn the most and grow. And that is infectious to teams, that display of um, determination to achieve.
0: Harris, you launched your business earlier in this year and for the last little bit you've been consulting. Tell us a little bit about what you do in a, you know, in a nutshell.
2: Well, in a nutshell, I guess I try and put a nice pretty bow around exactly what we're talking about, bringing in structure and process into kitchen operations and putting them down on paper, a tangible, accessible map, roadmap to how kitchens should operate to minimise the stress that comes from the, the pressured environment uh, and building teams, building teams through what I think the 4P four, the four process is, is, is great because people can see the roadmap, they can see the step-by-step goal or the way to get to the goal. So it's a, it, when it's, we use the term consultancy, it, it really is just, team building and process and strategy implementation to industry that doesn't have a lot of t- spare time to, to focus on that. I'm sort of like a, a ghost chef, a ghost leader. I don't contribute to menus. I don't put my name up in lights, but I'm there to, be the, to have the open-door policy for the chefs to, to grow and you'd be used as a resource.
0: Sounds like someone else I know, Dave. <laughs>
1: It's good work if you can get it. Yes, right. After <laughs> Half the battle. It, it is. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of, I mean, I love working with teams and seeing people grow, just as you said, but mentoring other leaders is like your superpower because now you're exponentially seeing teams grow and teams of teams grow and helping that many more people. So I, I feel you. I love that work. Mm.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Harris. We, it was an absolute ball interviewing you.
1: Thank you both for having me. It's been great. It's been some wonderful insights. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you've thought of any burning questions or we've triggered something you'd like to discuss, hit us up on the socials. If you want more information, check the show notes. Everything's in there. Do us a favour, tell your mates. We can help everyone.